Hello everyone, this is Mayor Michael Tubbs from Stockton here and I'm so excited to be joined for this cricket conversation with none other than Matt Haney, supervisor-elect for District 6 in San Francisco himself. Matt was just selected in November 2018 and he won in every precinct, securing the largest victory in an open district supervisor race in the history of San Francisco. He officially takes office in January 2019. Before being a supervisor, he was also a commissioner and past president of the San Francisco Board of Education. He was elected to the Board of Education in 2012 and re-elected in 2016 with the most votes ever received by any candidate in SF school board history. So besides all that, Matt also happens to be a great friend and someone I look up to. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So thank you for joining us, Supervisor Elect. Absolutely. Thank you, Mayor. I'm excited for it. Absolutely. So let's. I, I'm, I'm going to see what you're going to throw at me here. <laughs> so let's go ahead and, and, and jump right in. Then um, you have a very impressive background, not just because you're elected experience, but also attending UC Berkeley and being a finalist for valedictorian there and Stanford Law School. Your family has done a lot of work with children's health and, and criminal justice reform. Your sister's a public defender. You yourself spent a year as an eviction attorney. Um, right before deciding to run for office. So it seems like public service is a big factor in your family. But my question is, what drove you to politics and public service? And like, how did you decide to jump in the arena to the, to the blood sport that is political office? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and you also, you know, you and I ran the same year. And so, um, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't let you get too far ahead of me. <laughs> um, in 2012, I heard about this, this senior from uh, from Stanford who was going to go and, and run for city council in his hometown, and uh, somebody I knew and was impressed by when you were a freshman. So um, it's great to have been in public service at the same time as you and kind of you know share this journey. So um, you know absolutely, it's you know I, you know I grew up uh, raised by my mom mostly. Uh, you know lived for most of my childhood. We lived in different apartment buildings. And, you know, when you live when you live in apartment buildings, you get you have, you know, these big groups of kids who are running around. This is before we could just pick up our phone. So we ran out, ran hmm. in the parks and, you know, you really get to know um, people and you, you know, all different ages and backgrounds and races. And, um, you know, for me, it, it really growing up in, in that environment, I, I developed a real love for people and, and, and being around people and an empathy for you know the different experiences that folks have and diversity, um, and then I think as you as you get older, you realize that we're not all treated the same way. Hmm. You know, there were a lot of people who were part of those circles. Uh, you know, who started getting kicked out of class, kicked out of school, uh, arrested. You know, treated very differently by institutions than the way I was treated. And I think that for me, that developed, uh, you know, a, a sense of responsibility to try to do something about that. And you can either say, well, you know, the system's working well for me. I'm going to just kind of roll with that. Or you can say, you know, I want to live in a, in a world where our institutions actually re reflect well, the best of who we are and try to make it better. And let me dig in a bit on, on that point, because, I mean, there's a lot of people where the current system is actually working really well for them and has been for generations and yet they haven't made the choice you made. So what, what, like what made you say, you know what? I see disparate treatment. I see these systems aren't equal, but I personally have a responsibility to do something about it and to do something not necessarily in the philanthropy space or not necessarily 
in a corporate social responsibility space, but to be like in the thick of it and the messiness and the dirtiness that, that is politics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, um, I lost my, my best, one of my best friends when I was 19, he, uh, committed suicide. His name was Kevin. And, you know, he had been kicked out of school. He had spent some time, uh, in jail. And, you know, for me, that was a time where, uh, you know, with, with his family and with our community, for me really thinking, what was my responsibility in this world? You know, if I was going to live uh, in a place where the consequences of, of systemic racism or uh, sexism or other things were that people all around me were going to be hurt and, 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 and were going to be lost. And, and it, was, it was a recognition that there wasn't really a way for me to just benefit <laughs> um, and keep on going like everything was okay. Um, knowing what I did, uh, having learned what I did f- from my community, and having the opportunities that I had. I mean, I was very blessed to have a family that was there for me, folks who were in public service, and to go to college and all of that. So then the question is, all right, well, what you going to do about that? <laughs> what you going to mm-hmm. do with all that? So, you know, in, in politics, I didn't come directly into politics. Um, it took me a, a little while to get to that point. Um, I was one of those folks who dropped everything to go work on the Obama campaign, in 2007, 2008, I was there, uh, you know, in the in the cold winter in Iowa, uh, working for uh, then Senator Obama. And after that campaign was over, he we had an event uh, at the inauguration uh, with all the staff, the thousands of folks who had worked on his campaign. And he gave a speech that still, you know, sticks with me to this day, where he said, you know, I don't want you to come to Washington. <laughs> I don't want you to come here and work in my administration. Uh, what I need you to do is take the same passion and the same commitment back to your communities and bring all you got to make it better from there. Hmm. And so that kind of took me on the journey to where I am now to ultimately run for school board and now the board of supervisors. And, and what's interesting is that I think now, post-2016, we have a similar phenomenon where, especially the folks who are listening to us talk right now, they're not necessarily inspired by the the positive rhetoric of the of the current commander in chief to get involved but kind of are inspired by a lot of negatives a lot of the the feelings of nihilism and the xenophobia homophobia racism white supremacy etc um to, to get involved and to actually run for office so i think you're an example of how working on the campaign or being whether inspired by hope or inspired by by a, a hatred from elected from an elected official can 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 motivate folks to to run for office. So you brought up the Obama campaign. What it seems like a whole different world to be honest. Um, but what was the biggest lesson you <laughs> learned? You learned on that campaign. Well, it was it was a whole different world. <laughs> we we uh, you know it's it, things have changed almost unimaginably. Looking back then, you know we thought we we were going to completely transform the world and everybody was going to have great education and health care and we're going to solve all these problems: gun control, immigration, uh, economic inequality, and uh, and obviously we have a long way to go with that, with all of that. But um, you know what's what's interesting is is it wasn't even so much. President Obama himself that motivated me and inspired me. Uh, it was all of the people who were also inspired, also dropped everything, also um, were so committed to making our country and our communities better um, that really motivated me. Hmm. And you know that 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 for me just that that's the lesson that I that I take from it, which is that those folks are out there 
And when you find your your tribe within that, when you find people who are similarly motivated, um, you know, go all in. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, even if it seems unlikely, if it seems like it's a long shot, uh, go all in. And uh, those folks are still out there. You know, you, there's still lots of people to be inspired by, even if it's inspired out of resistance in, in this case. You know, I have this photo that sometimes I look back at where I'm standing in a, in a gym in Iowa um, and uh, this is the, the day before the caucus and Barack Obama was not supposed to win, certainly wasn't supposed to win when we all went out there. And I'm standing with Eric Garcetti and Kamala Harris and I'm a law student. <laughs> and uh, Maybe that's you know, foreshadowing. Who knows? <laughs> well, I think, uh, you know, and they did that too. They, they, they took huge risks and they dropped everything and they went out there and supported this guy when everybody else was supporting uh, Hillary Clinton at the time. So, you know, and, it, and it's paid off for them and it's paid off for them in big, big ways, much bigger than for me. But, it, you know, those that that risk taking is what got them where they are. And in much in many other ways, in personal you know, relationships and friendships, I met, I met my best friends out there on the on that campaign. So, uh, you know, you, you, there's never anything uh, wrong with when you find your people who are similarly motivated uh, to just go in all in with them and it'll, it'll work out. And, and that's a real salient point, this idea of campaigns being more just about running for office or which is important, but about building community and, and building community with the folks who are going to live with the decisions that are made and aren't made throughout the, the term. Um, so, so that's the point I take to heart. I just want to pause and, and, and let our, our listeners know that um, when I was a freshman at Stanford, I actually sent Matt a Facebook message because um, he was the lead organizer for students for Barack Obama Stanford chapter and I did not get the response until four years later. <laughs> I was running for for, um, <laughs> for 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 and and you and you for, never bring that up. You never us, bring it up. I want to appreciate you for never holding that over my head. I, I would never do such a thing. But so after, after the campaign, it's two thousand eight. You go back to San Francisco. Do you run for school board immediately, or or, or what you do after the campaign <laughs> to prepare yourself for a school board run? Well, first of all, uh, I apologize for not responding Let's to your listen, message. Listen, we're, we're on crooked conversations together. We are so good. It all worked out. <laughs> and for, for all the listeners out there, another lesson to take is that Facebook does live forever. <laughs> and, and not only do we, do we know that I didn't respond, but we can actually go back and read the message and see how long it took me to respond. So um, I, I'd like to think I was out there in Texas or Nevada or whatever trying to win the election, but on Facebook. But look, but but after after <laughs> after the campaign, um, what did you run for school board immediately? <laughs> I didn't run for school board immediately. Uh, I came back. I actually did finish law school and went to education school. Uh, I uh, started a group called this is very 2008, but uh, called Citizen Hope, uh, and and we were. <laughs> We're organizing people to kind of take that same energy that we had in the campaign and channel it into helping our schools and uh, doing book drives and read alouds and working with kids. And so I ran that for a while as I finished school. And then after law school, I took a job as the executive director of the University of California Student Association, which is like the statewide organization that that, that represents UC students. Uh, so I did that for a couple years, uh, and then and then ran for school board. Awesome! So, because I went and spent the bulk of our time on the supervisors race in kind of San Francisco, two thousand eighteen. But just a couple questions about school board. Um, 
Number one, what was it like running that first campaign? I think it's after you run a campaign, it gets a little bit easier. But when you're not an incumbent, you don't have an elected office, you're you're running a campaign. And I know there's a lot of folks listening who are thinking about running in 2020 or 22. Like, what is it like? How did you start your campaign? And, and what, what did you feel? And then finally, what's like the biggest lesson you learned from that first campaign running for? And you were you, you're a millennial, so you were young when you ran. Yeah, it was it was sort of, you know, when I went and t- told people I was going to run for school board, they thought uh, I was a little bit crazy uh, <laughs> for a number of reasons. I, I didn't have kids. I wasn't a graduate of the school system. Uh, I was very young. I think ultimately I was about 20 years younger uh, than the next closest person on the board. And I didn't really fit the profile of what people saw as a school board member. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was an interesting experience. I think you learn a lot because you make a lot of assumptions, you know, when you run for office, you think, uh, it's, it's, you know, certain people are going to show up. You're going to, it's going to be raising money is going to be like this. These people are going to support me. It turns out that they're nowhere to be seen. You know, it's all these things. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in the show, the wire, uh, as it relates to, as it relates to politics, Absolutely. but there's one, there's, there's one scene that, and power that I too, think about. quietly. The power, yeah. Uh, and uh, there's one scene, and it's not the one where he's where he's calling for dial, dialing for dollars, which is also a good one, and how miserable that experience is. Uh. And you got to do a lot of that. Uh, but it's also there's a scene with um, with Marlo, and uh, he he's having this kind of back and forth with a, a security guard who works in 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 one of the stores there, and um, the guy's really upset with Marlo, and Marlo says to him. Um, you want it to be one way, <laughs> hmm. and the guy's like, "What do you What do you mean?" He said, "You want it to be one way," and the guy's like, "I don't know why you keep saying that." And he said, "But it's the other way." <laughs> so <laughs> there's 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 a sense that you want everything to fit into your idea of how it should be or how you win or all of that. Uh, but um, there's a way that that it works, and the sooner that you can really operate connected to the reality of of what comes with winning a campaign wherever you are. And take that seriously, and, and you know, the sooner you'll 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 get to a place where you can win and 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 understand it. I, I see a lot of candidates who who want it to be one way, hmm. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's the other way. And uh, I, I I try to tell candidates that early on, like, let me tell you exactly how it actually is, because um, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that I think people make. Well, you can use that one, Mayor Tubbs. You can you can quote the wire and. <laughs> But I was like, you didn't you make want, it up. I don't need your permission to use the wire quotes. I, 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 like, I like the wire as you well. You should watch the whole clip, though, of what the actual context is of the of the of the argument. But it's just that you like, know, you want, people want it to be one way. Like I want this interview to be one way, and we're 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 talking about the wire. Crooked Conversations is brought to you by Article. Article is an online-only furniture store. By eliminating the layers of traditional retail, Article is able to keep prices low and quality high. No showrooms, no salespeople, just savings. This is beautiful, well-made furniture, Scandinavian simplicity, beautifully designed, modern furniture. Article is serious about shipping. No matter how many items, every order is shipped at a flat rate of $49. Need some help getting set up? Article has options for in-room delivery and for assembly assistance. Article is offering listeners $50 off their first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash crooked, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash crooked to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Crooked 
in terms of your your work on school work, I think it's one thing to run for office and be elected, but it's another thing to be effective. And the reason why I, I sought out this conversation um, before the to start the new year was because I, I was impressed with the amount of work you did as a school board member. So I want to pivot in a second and talk about the supervisor campaign in San Francisco and what it represents for this country in 2018, 19. But tell like as a school board member, it's one thing to be elected, but what did you do? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I tried to, I tried to shake things up. I tried, I tried to, you know, they, my first year, I think I introduced about 20 resolutions I just had my last school board member, and the main thing that I did uh, was apologize to the staff um, for everything that I made them do. <laughs> and uh, but you know, I, I and I told them this at the time that I, you know, it's because uh, because I believed in the work and I believed in the work that they were doing. And sometimes in a bureaucracy, you know, as you know, because you 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 lead one, uh, sometimes you have to sort of change the dynamic a little bit, um, affect the rules that they operate under or the priorities that they operate under. And then that shifts it in a certain way that it can be, you know, hopefully a little bit more connected to the realities that students and teachers and families are facing. You know, we did a lot of work to try to make sure that our district actually saw and understood the experience and the needs of certain groups that we really had no understanding or strategy for, you know, homeless students, which is about one out of every 25 students in San Francisco is homeless. We had no real strategy to support them. Uh, undocumented students, uh, you know, um, uh, students who were uh, had uh, incarcerated parents. We, we had the first in the nation policy uh, to actually have a strategy to work with those students and their, and their parents. Uh, so, you know, I did a lot of work around that, uh, you know, and for me, when a student walks into a school, yes, we want to teach them math. That's very important. Uh, but we also want to make sure that they feel loved, that they feel seen, that they feel supported. And so I spent a lot of my time on that uh, because a child learns about what the rest of the world thinks about them when they walk into the school doors for the first time. And the most important thing for me was that they felt loved and seen and heard. Uh, so that's what I spent most of my time on. Some light stuff, but but in, but, but no, in all seriousness, very, very important work. <laughs> so you did that yeah. for about six years. And how did you decide to run for a supervisor? For those who aren't familiar, can you describe the role of a supervisor? Yeah. So in, in San Francisco, we don't have a city council because we, uh, we're, we're, we're a city and a county. So our board of supervisors is like a city council, you know, on steroids, it's, uh, has all the powers of a county board and of a city council. And, uh, we're elected by district. So I represent, I will represent one of the 11 districts. Uh, we're the legislative body for the city. Uh, we have, you know, oversight and, and, and a role in, uh, managing the budget, which is $11 billion in San Francisco. So, uh, it's a, it's a, which is bigger than many states, um, so it's, you know, it's our legislative body. It's a, it's a, has a special role in development, land use and zoning. So, and then of course I have, um, a district that I'm responsible for and, uh, delivering services there. You know, it, it's hard to, uh, ignore the fact that so many of our kids, uh, were walking into, um, school each morning, you know, not having uh, adequate housing, um, coming from families that weren't having access to the incredible economic opportunities that exist in San Francisco. Uh, we're experiencing violence, uh, 
crappy transportation, you know, all of the things that create a safe and healthy environment where everybody can thrive from kids up to seniors. Uh, I think that as a school board member, you're you're witnessing that every day. And mm. for me, I, I, I felt that I wanted to take on those challenges. Uh, I live in the Tenderloin, which is a, a neighborhood that, you know, you really can't, uh, you know, you right when you walk outside your door, you see where exactly and how sometimes you step in <laughs> um, uh, exactly how the city is is failing. And so I, I wanted to do something about that. And uh, I think in 2018, uh, at a time when the federal government isn't coming to save anybody, uh, San Francisco as the sort of one of the, the homes of the resistance um, you know, has a responsibility to demonstrate that we can govern effectively in a progressive way and an equ- equitable way. And I, I wasn't seeing uh, what I what I think is our potential, and I wanted to to be a part of that. And I'm going to go back to the nuts and col- um, bolts, excuse me, of, the ca- of campaigning, especially sort of the interesting um, dynamics you had to negotiate as you successfully won your seat. But I do want to just play a little bit with the notion of, of, of kind of what San Francisco represents in the national imagination. And I think what's exciting for me is, is that the Tenderloin, in my opinion, and all your District 6 in general, represents kind of both progress and peril. It, it, I mean, it's the home to the most billion-dollar tech companies in San Francisco, its tallest new residential towers, but it also has the largest homeless population, the highest crime rate, the most congested str- streets, um, and all the new housings being located in this district. So I guess I'm interested in hearing, as you prepare to govern, what 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 commentary is there? What what can we draw? What inferences can we make about the fact that such great prosperity and such great poverty and despair coexist in the same district, the same block, the the same streets? Yeah, it's it's kind of and 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 it's. You know, it's an incredible thing that all of this is in one district. You know, eighty uh, percent of the development in San Francisco, the, the large majority of tech companies, the large majority of homelessness, uh, and it's it's even you know, and as you touched on, it's a, even a little bit deeper than that because you know the Tenderloin is is home to uh, it really. I look at it as a community in many ways of refugees, hmm. and I mean that in the in the broadest sense. We have refugees who who have come over the years from El Salvador, from Vietnam, from Cambodia, um, but most of the people actually are refugees from other types of sort of internal um, uh, displacement. Hmm. Um, they're refugees from uh, racism, uh, having been displaced from other parts of San Francisco or other parts of of the the country. Uh, there's a very large LGBT and, and transgender community. They're refugees of um, you know transphobia and people who were kicked out of their homes and couldn't, um, you know, find any community um, in other parts of the country. And, you know, they've all come to this, <laughs> to this place. And, uh, some, and, and very often it's, it's the one place that they could afford. Uh, that mm. has something to do with it. But it's also a place where in many cases they can be themselves and they can um, find somebody who cares about them or a place like Glide, you know, Glide Church where their doors are, are open to anybody. So, you know, that makes me very proud of my community, uh, but it also means that we have a huge amount of challenges. And you look around, if you take on that responsibility, <laughs> you know, you're going you're gonna to have some problems and you're going to have some, some, some barriers to doing that well. And so that's, 
that's a challenge that we face. And then we look right over across Market Street and you see uh, folks who um, who are starting, you know, some of the most innovative, creative companies in the world. And, you know, maybe they're refugees in their own way. They couldn't they couldn't do that anywhere else. They couldn't be uh, have an environment where they could create in the same way. And so here we are all together in the same place. Obviously, one side a lot more well resourced than the other. And then, you know, we put we put to the question we put the question to to everybody, uh, you know, in our city and beyond. Um, can we in that environment where we've got all these folks here? people who've been hurt and harmed and displaced and traumatized, uh, but who are resilient and are creative and wise in, 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 in themselves, um, you know, can can we create a life and a community uh, in that sense that works for everybody? Well, don't we? And, but, um, but let me push back, Supervisor. Like, well, as, as progressive, as a side of resistance, as the liberal bastion, like, isn't that, to be in line with values, I feel like you have to, right? And, and that, and, I when I talked to some of my conservative friends, they mentioned how like Donald Trump didn't do all that, and and I and in, in most cases I, I do agree that a lot of these is as easy to be progressive or liberal or forward thinking on some issues, but it seems like when we talk about the economy or how race and class intersect, it seems to be that folks who are progressive or folks who call themselves forward thinking seem to really struggle with that and think it's okay that we could have such great wealth in proximity to such great poverty. Well, there's nothing okay about it, as you know, as far as I'm concerned, and I and I know you would agree. I mean, this is, uh, you know, in, in some ways, it's it's our greatest failure. I mean, we that you could have such incredible wealth, literally right next to some of the worst poverty imaginable. I mean, people hmm. who are mentally ill, who are you know sleeping in their own feces. I mean, this is hmm. happening literally in the shadow of. Billion, you know, billion-dollar companies, multi-billion. We're talking Airbnb, Twitter, everything that's on your phone hmm. is in my district, and yet right there, um, you know, and 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 we can't blame Donald Trump for that. I mean, certainly he's not doing anything to help. Absolutely. But this is our this is our responsibility. A lot of these folks have been hurt or harmed in San Francisco or in other liberal places, and. That's just, you know, that's the truth. And so our, what I like to say, and I'm sure you agree, <laughs> agree with this, I'm not really interested in trying to figure out who to blame. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out um, how and who is ready to step up and take responsibility. Yep. And that's, that's our challenge. That's our challenge to people on the left. If people on the left think that we're doing great, just come to my district, uh, one of the most democratic places in, in the country, and you'll see that we're not doing that well, and and we should take responsibility for that. And and let let me backtrack a little bit and talk about right before while campaigning, you also served as an eviction lawyer. Um, and I just read Evicted last year, and it really sh- kind of shaped my thinking, um, sort of around the eviction crisis and housing affordability and how it intersects with homelessness. Can you talk about how that experience is going to inform? Um, the work you do in governing um, a city that's going through a housing affordability crisis? You know, we don't have a right to housing in our country. Uh, so, you know, if you get into a tough spot uh, and for whatever reason, either because maybe just because you got a bad landlord who's trying to do, who's trying to do, do you dirty uh, or, you know, because you lose your job or whatever it is, uh, you, you have a, you know, an emergency. Uh, you it's 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 not difficult in in our country to end up on the street uh 
without a way back in. And, you know, if you're looking at uh, evictions, you're really on the front line of that. Uh, you see people who, uh, who for whatever reason, they get into a tough spot and they can't afford, you know, to stay where they are or there's some reason that their landlord is trying to push them out. And for many of those people, they don't have a next step. They don't have another option. They, they are going to end up either on the street or, or displaced from, from the city that they uh, live in and, and in many cases have been for a long time. So there's a massive crisis around that. And I think, you know, we talk a lot about right to health care, which we should, and single payer, and, uh, and, and that's really important. Uh, I think we at some point need to start to think about a right to housing where uh, there's an expectation that we're going to help people keep stay in their homes. And uh, if if they lose if they lose their home, that we collectively um, have a way to make sure they have a bridge uh, to stay in stable housing. And, you know, you're on your own if, if you're you know, if you fall down and you lose a housing, which is which is easy to do because of how complicated the rules are and everything you're you know there's there's no one there for you in many cases crooked conversations is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks etfs options and cryptos all commission free they strive to make financial services work for everyone not just the wealthy Robinhood is a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. You can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. The Robinhood web platform also allows you to view stock collections like entertainment and social media and curated categories like female CEOs, as well as analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at crooked.robinhood.com. That's crooked.robinhood.com. And then in your addition to your time as an eviction lawyer, you also did some work with um, Van Jones on Cut 50 and criminal justice reform. And I'm interested in seeing how that's going to inform your priorities as a supervisor because you also control the police department, the jails, mental health, et cetera. Yeah, it's challenging. Uh, there's, I'd also add to that that my district has more crime, uh, you know, more, more police incidents than any other district, about twice as many police incidents as any other district. Uh, the, the block that I live on uh, has at any given time, including at all hours of the night, <laughs> about, you know, 15 to 20 drug dealers. Uh, for people who are dealing drugs um, out in the open. Uh, a lot of the area is kind of an open-air drug drug uh, market. Um, so what do you do about it, this? It, like, what, what, what? <laughs> you know, that one's going to be hard. I'm gonna, I'm just, <laughs> that, that, that one's going to be hard for me because I, I, I think the drug war has been a terrible, awful, racist failure. And um, yet at the same time, I have residents almost entirely low-income people of color who, if you if you ask them what their biggest concern is about their community, they would say the drug dealing. Hmm. They're they're fed up. They're angry. They're 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 asking me what I'm going to do about it. So you know, one of the things that I think that what did you tell that, 
<laughs> um, well, so you know, I, my 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 view on it is that uh, you know, the, 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 when the police uh, give you, you know, you you come from a background of design thinking too, and we ha- we share that. But the police will often tell you that there's only one thing that they can do to solve this problem, and if they can't do it, do that. There's nothing that they can do, hmm. and. To, to me, that's very frustrating. You know, we have to be, we have to use our imagination here. If we're not constantly thinking of new ideas, new ways of you know changing the the, the, the environment to to disrupt it, to activate the areas in more positive ways, to get community ambassadors out on the street and and you know re- replacing these areas where are hugely problematic with parks. Um, thinking about the role of public health and ment- mental health mm. and uh, and and access to health in addressing some of these problems. Um, you know, I, I want to hear those ideas and I want to be constantly challenging people to put forward those ideas rather than, well, you know, um, we could go arrest everybody, but we don't have enough police. And when we arrest people, the DA doesn't prosecute. Hmm. So this is just what it's going to be. You know, it's like, okay, is that, is that the end of the story? Like, is that, <laughs> is that all you're going to say to me? Um, and, and that really frustrates me because I, I, I think I, we need creative thinking in, in public safety uh, and at all levels of bureaucracy. And speaking of not necessarily creative thinking, but one of the things I appreciate in watching you govern and campaign from afar is how kind of you own your identity as a white, cisgender, heterosexual male, um, negotiating and, and, and leading in spaces that oftentimes, especially in your district, you mentioned high number of people of color, refugees, LGBTQIA individuals, etc. So, what 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 do you think you've learned and could and could share with us and me about kind of allyship, um, and and how do you how do you negotiate those spaces while being true to yourself? Yeah. Uh... You know, one of the things that that you mentioned, Van Van Jones. One of the things that he taught me um, is that you know, you, our role as as leaders or elected officials is never to speak for people. And and I think that uh, you know sometimes um, uh, as a, a white man, we're sort of taught that we can we can just speak for anybody and mm-hmm. interrupt people and take up a ton of space. Um, so first of all, don't do that. <laughs> you know, um, listen, listen more, listen more than you talk, and have humility uh, about what you know and you don't know, uh, and have respect for other people's experiences. Um, genuine respect. Don't feign respect. Actually, really try to understand where they're coming from, and and value it. Don't assume that you have greater value than they do. Mm. Um, and then and then speak up for them. Speak up for them. Don't speak for them, but speak up for them. And, and sometimes that means speaking up to make sure that they're in the room, that they are listened to, that they have a role in, in the things that are impacting their lives. Uh, but if you get into the business of just speaking for people all the time, which I think white, white people often do, um, you know, you're going to have a challenge in being a real ally. Hmm. And then, you know, you got to show up for people, like actually show up for them, you know, actually show up and, and put your, um, privilege on the line uh to 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 be there for me you know there's that quote you know if you're if you're here because um you want to help me um we don't we don't really need that but if you believe that your uh liberation is is connected to mine then we then 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 we can work together 
And uh, people know that. People know that if you actually, if, if it's really just you think that because you're, you're in a place and, you, and you're a white man or whatever it is that you're, you're somehow owed leadership, um, mm. you know, peop- that's not going to work out. They're not going to trust you. Uh, but if they, if they see in the way that you show up and the way that you fight that you believe that your liberation is connected to theirs, then that then then they're ready to stand stand with you and um but but always coming from a place of uh, of also having humility and 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 listening. That's a whole lecture. That's a TED talk. You heard it here first, Matt, Matt Haney with the TED talk. Um, so we we have a couple more minutes, and I just want to do. I have a cl- two closing questions for you, but I'm going to do a quick lightning round just so people get a sense of who okay. you are as a person. Because I think oftentimes people think elected officials are somehow different from everyone else. I want to know that this young San Francisco supervisor is just like, or similar to to other people. So first question, who you got in 2020? (laughs) Uh, You know, I'm, you know, I'm team Kamala. Uh, I'm out here in San Francisco and I I came up with her and, and, uh, and believe in her. And, and I think she would be a fierce, a fierce warrior to take on Donald Trump. And uh, if she runs, I'll support her. Uh, And she's no nonsense. So, uh, but there, you know, I feel like everybody's running, right? There's 27 candidates or Are something you like run? that. So, no, no, I'll, I'll support Michael Tubbs if Michael Tubbs runs. Michael Tubbs um, is all of 28 years old. Michael Tubbs is definitely <laughs> Wait, not yeah, running. So you actually are not legally, you could not legally, that's, yeah, you could actually not be the president. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, then, then in 20, and then in 2020, uh, whatever it is, 2026, 2028. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I like Kamala. Um, you know, I like, a, I like a lot of the other people who are out there. We need to win. You know, <laughs> I, I think four more years of, of Donald Trump would be really, really dangerous for all of us and for our democracy. Well, you heard what happened so, today. I was going to ask you, like, he, his foundation had to shut down. There's like 17 investigations going on. He... He may or may not be the candidate when he gets it yeah. in, in 2020. So so what's the best book you've read over the last year? Oh man, that's a good one. Um you know, I went back and I and I um and I read I reread um Nelson Mandela's uh biography. Um and Long uh, Walks of Freedom? Yes, yes. And um I recommend that. I mean, I I had read it pr- probably 10 years ago and uh Man, what an what an incredible story and an incredible man. I mean, he's a, he's he's definitely like, there's no way I'm sitting in jail for 26 years and coming out mad like, calm and mad just like coming out like, like let's 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 be yeah. friends. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a little yeah. upset. I'm reading his prison letters and now and like, I'm like wow. I, just, I didn't realize how much this man had like he sacrificed um for 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 a co- for that's real resistance right and like just did not allow them to break him for that long and uh, maintain his commitment to his people and his belief in humanity. It's and they, he, would not let, he would not let them uh, bring him so low as to hate another, another human being. That, that's, I mean, that's, I think, um, the highest level, um, you know. And uh, so, yeah, so I recommend rereading that if you haven't. What's the best brunch spot in San Francisco? Or do you go to brunch? <laughs> uh i i do go to br- brunch um you know I'm, I'm i was devastated because my favorite brunch spot just uh shut down um and it's called farmer brown's farmer brown shut down tenderloin yeah whoa yes, it did. i didn't know that <laughs> um uh 
so they have another spot. Um, friend of mine who owns a place called Victory Hall. Uh, I like that place a lot. Uh, so uh, you know, but unfortunately, it's 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 hard. It's expensive. It's hard to run a business in in San Francisco, which is something you need to work on, supervisory elect. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Both both of these places are in my district. So yeah. Um, and two more questions. What what do you do to take care of yourself? How do you recharge? Uh, I mean, I go to brunch with you, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, you know, I I love spending time with my friends and family. I have a very close relationship with my sister. You know, that's uh, uh, very special to me. Uh, I uh, I box, so I go to boxing um, usually. Uh, I as thought much, that was you I and can. Creed. I just saw Creed too the other weekend. I thought <laughs> that was. I was like, that looks like Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not sure if, if there was a character like like me. Uh, but yeah, I, I I do I do those things, and um, yeah, man, I I just try to stay positive about the opportunities that I have and, and the blessing, uh, with it and, um, and just have fun with it. You know, I mean, I think we can just get really down and, um, that's, that's not going to put you in a place where you can really be as helpful. And it's hard. I I, I don't, it's obviously, um, you know, a difficult thing, but you know, you know, you're the same way. You're the same way. (laughs) So, so last question. And, 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 and I just wanted to make sure we end with this so we get a picture of what the next four to eight years um, for District 6 looks like. And people always say that politics and power, they don't make you who you are, they reveal who you are. So who was the Matt Haney we can expect to see as the supervisory elect? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, I got a couple of weeks till I, till I take office. Uh, I've been campaigning now for... Uh, I campaigned for a year and a half. I served on the school board for six years. Uh, and, you know, I, I it's important to me to continue to be myself. And, you know, it's I think for, for politics, as you said, it can kind of bring out the worst in people uh, or it can bring out the best in people. And um, we have to sort of, you know, make sure that we check in with ourselves that we're continuing Mm. to 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 sort of push to bring out the best in ourselves so you know i hope that i'm able to govern with uh with love uh that's Mm. uh maybe a little cheesy but no no um, no that's very powerful that's love is the most powerful force in the universe and it can even have a place in politics um love for the people that i represent uh love for uh even my my the people that i'm up against Mm -hmm. And wanting to see their um, liberation as well, uh, you know. And I think that that what that lends itself to is that we want to ha- we want to win. I, I want to win in transformational ways that we actually, you know, do things that people think weren't can't aren't possible. Uh, but that we also do it. Um, that 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 how we do it matters. Um, that we are um, building power for people who right now don't have hmm. their share of it. Um, that we're um, fundamentally altering how power is distributed um, and that we're changing the narrative. Um, and if at the end of my four to eight years, not only did we do a lot, but we created the conditions where uh, people who need government to work for them, where um, people who are shut out of uh, uh, their share of so many of the resources and creativity and great things that are happening in the city, um, where they're much more powerful and organized, um, that that will be a, a victory for me. 
And uh, I think for all of us, we we're, our role as, as elected officials is to try to, well, they say this for organizers, like your job as an organizer is to organize yourself out of your job mm-hmm. <laughs> so that you're not needed anymore. And I kind of see that as my role um, in, this, in this sense in supervisor or school board that um, I create the conditions where for me, myself, I'm not needed anymore because we know that the next person that the community supports will be able to have the tools to be successful and because uh, of how we thought about power. So that's, that's the, you know, to me, that's how I'm going to govern and I'm going to have an eye towards winning, winning in big ways, in transformational ways, but also, you know, making sure that people are uh, able to access um, the, the decisions that impact their lives in, in, in more fundamental ways. Well, well, Matt, you just really gave us a, a master class on not just allyship, but public servantship. Um, so just to recap a couple of the main points that really resonate with me. Number one, this idea that love has a place in politics. Number two, you speak up for people. You don't speak for people. Number three, the road to political office is a journey, um, not necessarily a destination. Uh, number four, campaigns are about community. Um, and number five, you got to win. Um, so, so with that, I'm just so thankful to have this conversation with my brother, one of my favorite per- people in politics and someone who I'm really excited to watch govern. Um, in San Francisco over the next 48 years, supervisor-elect Matthew Haney um, in District 6. <laughs> Thank you, Mayor. I appreciate you. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Valid one time on Friday. Participating McDonald's through 12 31 excludes tax must update rewards.